Okay, if you are just joining us, we are in a little mini-series here that my wife and I have been doing for the last four or five weeks on making commands in prayer. And that's interesting language, and if Jesus didn't tell us to do it, we wouldn't say that, because that's weird, to be honest with you. This idea of who, you know, who are you in a prayer, what authority do you have to make a command? And if you haven't been with us, let me make it very clear, it's not our idea in any fashion. (laughs) Jesus is the one who teaches this in lots of different places. And in fact, most famously in the Lord's Prayer, which is a direct answer to his disciples coming to him and saying, would you teach us to pray? Jesus, we want to pray like you. And so what's famously called the Lord's Prayer, we think is more uh, appropriately named the disciples' prayer. It's the Lord's prayer in the sense that he taught it, of course, but it's the disciples' prayer in that Jesus is teaching us, his disciples, his followers, how to pray. And that's such a key point because sometimes we can look at the way Jesus prayed or even in the Lord's prayer itself and be like, oh, that's, that's too big for me. And what we focused on last week is the authority in prayer comes from our identity. And that's where, that's where it all starts to make some sense, is that our authority where Jesus says, hey, you're going to be able to look at mountains, and you're going to command them to move, and they will. And that's like a shocking thing. What is, what, how, 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 how could I do that? And as we dug in the last few weeks, we're looking at Jesus gives us his authority because we are his beloved children meant to be his representatives and ambassadors on the earth. So when he's done with his ministry here and he says, now as the Father sent me, I'm sending you and I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the same power that was operating in me to see those signs, wonders and miracles and mountains moved into the sea. That is my gift to you so that as my beloved children, you can represent me in the world. These are some like, wow, intense things. And then we get into the middle of the Lord's Prayer, and we see Jesus teaching us to make commands. In the same way that he says, hey, I want you to learn how to speak to mountains and command them to move into the sea, we see that same imperative way of praying, that imperative tense, that command, right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. So if you weren't with us, here's the quick translation, or here's quickly in review. Here's the translation as we dug deep into the the Greek of it, looking at the tense of each verb, here's a very appropriate translation of the right in the middle, the most famous part of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches you and I to pray like this. Arrive now, kingdom of yours. Come into being, will of yours. As it is in heaven, so also upon earth. So there's two verbs in there. They're both in the imperative, meaning commands. Jesus teaches you to make commands in prayer as it already is in heaven, so also on earth. And so he's teaching us to pray from heaven to earth where God's will is perfectly done, where he is the king and he reigns in dominion perfectly. Only his perfect will is done in heaven. And Jesus is saying, 
in this reality of the spiritual world that we live in, where, yeah, we see all this stuff in front of us. We see the physical nature. We're in real relationships. We can touch things that are, you know, made of matter. But Jesus is trying to teach us to learn to live. There's a greater reality than all this. There is an, an, an invisible reality. There is a spiritual reality. And the awesome thing about that is it's already all done. God's will is completely lived out. He completely reigns in heaven. And Jesus is teaching us to learn, like Colossians says, to live from being seated already in heaven with Christ and pray from that place. Make declarations, make commands as it already is in heaven, so now also on earth. And so as we've looked at this the last few weeks, hopefully you guys are getting re-inspired and inspired anew if it's a brand new idea. But we feel like God is continuing to want to grow this culture here in our church where because of what Jesus taught us, we make bold prayers. We don't make bold prayers because we think we're all that. That's foolishness. We can't change anything on our own strength. But we don't wanna dishonor Jesus either and say, well, little old me, I can't do anything, so I'm not gonna pray like you taught me to pray. That doesn't honor God. So we're trying to live into what does Jesus have for us as his followers? And it is to make bold commands in prayer. So with this uh, whole series that we've done, I think it's been three messages before this, right? Um, if you haven't heard all of them, I really encourage you to listen to them. Uh, because basically what this is, is it's a revolution. You know, we may have walked out bits and pieces of it um, over the years, but it really is a revolution of how Jesus teaches us to pray and how he models prayer, how the disciples model prayer. You know, um, I was going back and forth with Larry recently, and he said he, he was hard-pressed, he's hard-pressed to find a verse where the disciples are begging God. That's not what's modeled for us. And so, you know, um, if we want to see the kingdom break through, then we best be following the model that Jesus taught us to pray. And here in America, um, there are ways that we've learned to pray that I think make us comfortable. They're not uncomfortable. They don't take a lot of faith. Um, praying like this can feel embarrassing. It can feel uncomfortable. But there's something in stepping out and taking a risk and quite frankly, being obedient to God. You know, we've learned things and things have be, ways of prayer have become culturally acceptable, but they're not biblical. They're not what Jesus taught us. And we're followers of Jesus. No, we're not followers of the American church. So this morning, we're gonna look at the power of agreement. And we've already been looking at the power of agreement in the sense of agreeing with God. That's kind of the whole point of the Lord's Prayer where we're coming into agreement as it already is in heaven, so also on earth. And we're attaching our faith in agreement to, yes, that is your will, God. Arrive now, kingdom of yours. Come into being. So there's agreement in that. 
But we want to talk specifically this morning about the power of agreement with one another. Because another tendency that we have in our world is to just be very individualistic. And uh, I'm not in any way, we're not in any way going to say that there shouldn't be individual times of prayer. Absolutely there should be. In fact, prayer is just like that ongoing conversation with God. As I've talked about many times, like, it's communion with God, absolutely. Communion and conversation that's never supposed to stop. First Thessalonians 5.19 says, pray without ceasing, continually. It never ends, and that used to terrify me. It really did. It sounded so boring to just be alone, not talking to people, <laughs> with a list in my closet, you know, of things, like, to pray for about others. It's like, what? But that's not, no way. That's not practical for anyone. It's speaking about the reality that... We are made to be in constant conversation and communion with God. And so, of course, much of that is going to be individual. You see individual prayers in the Bible. But, and Don mentioned culture. If you want to talk culture, we're also taught to be very individualistic. Where we got it all together. Don't get vulnerable. Don't show your needs. Just put the smile on your face. Pretend you're all good. And that can rob us of so much of the power of what God wants in prayer. Where he's inviting us to come together in agreement. And so let's look at this. Matthew 8, 18, 18 and 19. Jesus says, truly I say to you, and that's plural, by the way. It's y'all. If Jesus is from Texas because he speaks in, you know, second person plural in the Greek. He says, y'all. Truly I say to you, y'all, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, this is one of those verses that is so typical and easy and tempting to unintentionally ignore because it's too big for us. If you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them. By my Father in heaven, anything you ask, it will be done. Don't want to do too much review, but this is where we've been emphasizing that this is the discipleship journey. This is a journey of growth. This is a journey of learning. Just because it's huge and awesome doesn't mean you quit because you're not there right now. That's the whole idea of following Jesus. I mean, Jesus straight up said, oh, you see these works that I'm doing, the miracles that I do? You will do the same works I do and even greater. There's no other way to interpret that than, to, than it to mean the works that Jesus is doing, he thinks you can do and greater. But that can be so intimidating and scary and disappointing when you say, well, I tried praying like Jesus and it didn't work. So therefore, I quit. That's the typical easy response. That's not how we do it here. Even though we're not there yet, we don't quit. Life is about a whole lifetime of following Jesus from one degree of glory to another. You might not be there yet, but that doesn't give anyone permission to quit. Nowhere does Jesus say, well, try this prayer like I do, and if it doesn't work, just quit. No, it's just keep going. 
just keep learning. Just keep growing in your faith. We looked at that all last week. Jesus specifically said when they couldn't cast out the disciples, he said, I'm sorry, but the reality is it's because your faith needs to grow. And we don't take that as condemnation. We take that as an invitation. Wow, I'm not there yet, but Jesus isn't done with me yet. I can keep growing and see, therefore, more of, of heaven transforming my reality and the world around me as I grow with Jesus and learn. And so there's a humility that just says, I'm not done yet, and that's fine. So there's no condemnation. It's just a humble hunger to keep growing. And this is one of those verses where it says, hey, I want you to grow to the point where you have a confidence and you'll know the Father's heart where you get in agreement with other people and anything you ask is done. Okay, we're not there yet, but you know what? We're pressing on. We're not quitting. And just a reminder, because I see some new faces and just a reminder to us as well. So I'm going to repeat something from, I believe it was last week real quickly. Is it Mark 9 and Matthew 17? Are those the two locations? Um, it's just really important to remember as we're on this journey that the disciples were on a similar journey as well. Jesus told them, I give you authority to heal and over all demons. They, right after that, went out and could not heal the man's son who was afflicted by a demon. The man came to, him, to Jesus and said, hey, your disciples couldn't cast this out, right? So this is right after Jesus gave them these big words, these, like, just like this verse. If you ask anything, it will be done. So he told them, you have authority over demons. And they're kind of like, uh, Jesus, so we didn't have authority over demons. What's up with that? His response is very simple. When you look at Matthew 17 and Mark 9, there are two things. One, they need to grow in their faith. Two, when Jesus said, this kind is cast out only by prayer and fasting, he neither fasted nor prayed in that moment. What he was referring to was a, an intimacy and communion and power that comes out of walking with Jesus and growing in intimacy with him. So he essentially was encouraging them to keep going on the journey, not to give up. Don't give up because you don't see the mountain move. Don't give up because you don't see exactly what you're agreeing for happen immediately. Amen. All right. So let's dig in here and have a little fun in verse 19. Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So this word agreement, beautiful. The Greek is symphoneo. Think about that for a sec. Symphoneo. Where we get the word symphony. It literally means to be of one mind or purpose, to be of one mind or purpose, and to come together in a symphony. I mean, that's, I think that's just beautiful. That's powerful. Listen, so Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you come together of one mind and purpose as a symphony before God in prayer, anything you ask, it's going to be done. A symphony, think about that. You know, big old concert hall, you know, in, in Los Angeles or something. There's this orchestra, a symphony. Each part plays something 
beautiful and different. And they might be able to play that song on their own and it might still sound good, but when they all come together, there is like a glory that is felt. That's what Jesus is saying when we humble ourselves to come together in prayer and value each other, recognize how much we need each other in prayer to be of one mind and to play, just to humble ourselves to say, I just am gonna play my part in the symphony that's united before God in prayer. That's when stuff happens. Like we said a few weeks back when we looked at mountains, the way that Jesus talked, it was plural to the disciples. So <laughs> most mountains are not meant to be moved alone. Most mountains, we see them, we're meant to go at it as a symphony, a united body. And Jesus says, hey, even if it's just two, there is something so significant about humbling yourself showing you're vulnerable, showing you don't have it all together, saying I need help, or hey, let's do this together. It honors God to recognize that we are a body of Christ. And I'm not in, in any way trying to say, so don't pray on your own. Pray on your own, pray without ceasing. It's when you're alone, pray on your own, and then get together and pray as a beautiful symphony to God. The next time we see uh, this binding and loosing phrase, it's very interesting. It's just a couple chapters later uh, in, in Matthew. Um, actually, excuse me, the first time we see it is in Matthew 16, a couple chapters earlier, and it's so interesting, the connection. Jesus is talking to Peter at this point in Matthew 16, 18 and 19, and he says after that great confession about who Jesus is as the Lord and Savior, the Messiah, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, on, on this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So that's where we see this phrase about binding and loosing introduced. And the very next time we see this binding and loosing phrase, which is like, man, this is talking about an authority. Whatever you Bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed from heaven. That's, that's some prayer power authority. The next time we see this phrase used, and so Jesus says, I'm gonna give you the key about this. The next time we see that phrase used, I believe Jesus gives us the key, gives them the key. Because he uses that phrase and he says, when you come together in agreement, that's when your binding and loosing will have power where anything you say is done. So I believe Jesus is showing his disciples that one of the keys, absolutely one of the keys to seeing the kingdom of God advance in and through our lives is agreement in prayer. And the, the early church, man, they lived this out as absolutely a way of life. And one of the things I absolutely love about this church is that we have been cultivating this for a number of years. And, and, and I believe we live this out, but this is one of those seasons where I believe, we believe God is calling us just to say, here's kind of that glory to glory. Here's a next glory in prayer. Making commands in prayer, knowing the authority that God is giving you, and praying in agreement, in symphony with one another to see those greater things. The early church models it so well. Acts 1.14 
This is before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit falls, before that promise has been fulfilled by Jesus where he says, I will clothe you with the power from on high so that you can be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And, and what is their heart posture? Right before the Holy Spirit falls in great power like humanity has never known? Acts 1.14, all of them were together in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. That's the picture of the symphony. They were together in one accord, one mind, one, one purpose in prayer, and the Holy Spirit falls in power. And then it continued on in Acts 2.42. They demonstrate that this truly becomes a way of life. Acts 2.42 to 47 is this beautiful description of this, this community, this church of power. This little church that goes from 120 people scared and alone in this upper room. This, it's, but they are together in unity of one accord in prayer. The Holy Spirit falls and they are turning the world upside down from that moment forward. And Acts 2.42 to 47 gives us this little picture of what life is like. The culture of that church of power. In summary, Acts 2.42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So there was a devotion to these four things. Lastly mentioned, prayer. That cannot be taken for granted. It's absolutely become a way of life where when they gathered, they devoted themselves to prayer. Unity in the spirit, agreement in prayer, we see in this early church. It's what preceded the power of the spirit falling on them, and then it became simply, quite simply, a way of life that they lived on. And through that, then they lived into signs, wonders, miracles, powerful answers to prayer. And as we were preparing this message, an image came to mind that in some ways this is so simple. We, we already do this in prayer, but there is a physical representation of a great spiritual reality when most of the time, if we're praying in a group, what do we do? We say, hey, let's hold hands. And I feel like the Lord just highlighted that to me. It's, it's a simple physical representation of a deeply spiritual, powerful reality of let's unite the symphony. We are praying, if, even if it's just two, if it's three, if it's four, if it's 20, wherever we are, around the dinner table, right here as we prayed as a worship team before the service, we just said, let's grab hands and pray. And that is... A, just to think about the reality of what we're doing, and that's the encouragement. As we move forward and we grab hands in prayer, we are stepping into what Jesus said is the power source or one of the key power sources to see our prayers become mightily effective to the moving of mountains. And it's that we are recognizing 
in humility that we are all just one part in the symphony and I need to grab hands with my brothers and sisters and we unite as a symphony before God. United in that hunger to see his will break through as it already is in heaven, so also on earth. And when we do that, the the fireworks of of God's spirit will move in greater and greater measure. And it was neat to be reminded of that picture of, of holding hands because two years ago in January in 2020, as as we were praying for some prophetic words, Don got a picture of our church holding hands. And so I was like, hey, do you remember that? Would you share that? And just goes beautifully with today. Yeah. So again, the focus here is that this is a way of life that we're seeing Jesus lay out and in the New Testament. This is a way of life. This isn't an um, afterthought. It's not, oh, this is a good idea every once in a while. These are actually, this is supposed to be a fundamental basic. Like eating and drinking, this is supposed to be a way of life. So this really comes against, and it's very countercultural to the American society that we have, to our American culture. You know, in... Um, First John, is it First John 1? Um, the Bible says, um, if you confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive you. But in James, the Bible says, if you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, you'll be healed. So holding things in isolation and on our own is not how we're meant to do things. I mean, and if you think about it, how many wars are won with an army of one? Not very many. And... Um, I feel like this is something that we really need to be pressing in to God for and asking him, you know, along with Ephesians 1 and Romans 12, for him to transform our minds and give us his spirit, a revelation to show us how to live this out. How do we live this out? What are the nuances? What does this look like for me in this season of life, God? How do I live this out? Um, And I want to share the image that God gave me. It was January 2020 because it really goes along with this revolution, which is really back to the roots of how Jesus taught us to live. So there was this uh, image that I had, and it was of our entire church as a community, and we were all in one kind of like line, almost like the the first line in, um, you know, of like an army, you know, on a battlefield. And we were all holding hands. And as we held hands, the, there was this beautiful light that kind of emanated up from our hands and it was the presence of God. And it created, instead of just one person and you have almost like, you know, one light, you know, your little light shining. <laughs> but I mean, instead of one person and their one light, everyone connected and it was this massive wall And the enemy could not come in and penetrate our camp. But then the next part of the image that God gave me was in unity as one. And now now that's representative of a a heart posture together, living in unity. You know, it's, it's not just coming together every once in a while. This is representative of a lifestyle. And as we held hands... We were singing praises and we were walking forward and um, 
we basically took over the enemy camp and, and took back what belonged to us. And there was so much power. And if you think about it, we are a body of Christ. And if you think of us even as a body, you know, if you think of one big giant, um, if you just have the finger kind of hopping around, you know, doing what the finger can do, how much more powerful is the finger when it's united to the rest of the body? You know, and you can all operate. And, and you know, and that also speaks to the operation of spiritual gifts when we come together in prayer. Now, one of the things that we have uh, when our small groups get together, and quite frankly, anytime we get together, we try to practice praying for one another, and you're listening to the Lord, and you're practicing the gifts that he gave. You're practicing utilizing the gifts that he gave you. It's also a safe place to practice, you know, within a community, within family. There doesn't need to be any pressure of, oh, I have to get it all right. And quite frankly, if that's our perspective that we have to get it all right, it's not biblical because the Bible says to not despise prophecy, but to test everything and to hold fast to what is good. So it's actually quite normal that we don't hold fast to everything, but we hold fast to what is good as the Holy Spirit leads us, you know, so there's always a humility involved. I feel like I'm hearing this from the Lord. You know, you test it, you know. Um, but anyways, there, there is so much power as we walk in that, as we walk in this way that Jesus laid out for us of practicing prayer together. There's, there's power in the unity, and there's also power in each of us bringing the gifts and, and that he wants to, that Jesus wants to bless the body with through us. There, there's a portion of his presence and his power that every single person brings that no one else brings quite like that. So every single person is so vital and important to this body. Every single person being a part of this community here is so vital and important even to everyone's breakthrough. There's an element, you know, if you think of an army, it's like, oh, you know, think, think of the X-Men. They all have these different powers. That's how every single person here is. You know, with one of them missing, it's like, oh, shoot, we really need Magneto, you know, to do the metal thing. Or, oh, we really, you know, who I, I know, no, but, well, he's... We don't need the bad guy. He's a child of God, and <laughs> and he wasn't always bad, and there's always hope for redemption. Look at Paul. Nice, nice, nice. Anyways. <laughs> but that is a great picture. I mean, that, that it's all about the reality that each of us are playing a part in a symphony, and that's what we want to encourage people with today in that holding of hands, see that symbol of agreement, that symbol of we need each other in the symphony. I want to take us to one more passage in Luke, or excuse me, Acts chapter 12, that showed how the church that was birthed in power, in the power of the symphony of one accord prayer, they continued in that symphony prayer for a very long time. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to see some in the book of Acts if you're not like looking very closely, but by the time we get to chapter 12, that's actually 10 years after Pentecost. So we're gonna hear a story here about Peter miraculously being released from prison, and it's 10 years later from Pentecost where the description was given that they were together in one accord and they were devoted to that symphony prayer, that holding hands together. It's kind of a long passage, so I'm going to just uh, summarize it and then point out a couple 
key pieces. There was a, a, a new Herod uh, in town, and he was not happy with the popularity of the growing church, and so he laid violent hands on some to belong the church, who, who belonged to the church. And unfortunately, uh, James was martyred, James, the brother of John. And then Peter was arrested, put in prison, and the same fate was awaiting him. The night before, he was set to be brought out of prison and, and presented to the people and then uh, executed for his testimony about Jesus. It says this in verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And not coincidentally, what we see next is this story about how Peter's in prison. He's sandwiched in between two guards. He's got chains all over him because he's like a high-value you know, prisoner target. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. And Peter's confused. He's not sure if it's like a dream or if it's not. And, and then the, the chains just fall off. And so Peter's kind of in a stupor. And the angel's like, follow me. And basically, kind of Peter finds himself freed from prison in the streets, wakes up, it's like, what just happened? And his, his first kind of coherent thought is, I need to go to my people. I need to go to the church. And we see that in verse 12. When he realized this, that he's out of prison, prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So you might remember him from the book of Acts, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who has a falling out with Paul, and then they make up later, which is a great thing. Anyways, mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and they were praying. And so there's just a couple things. It's one of those passages, like many others, where you can kind of read right over it. But when you slow down and, and let the Holy Spirit kind of highlight some things, there is an affirmation of this culture, this way of life, this lifestyle of symphony prayer that has absolutely miraculous power, and they're still living it 10 years later. So let's look at verse five where it says, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him. That word earnest means fervent, eager, continuous, constant, serious the only other place we see it used in the New Testament about prayer is where Jesus was in the garden praying so earnestly that he, uh, you know, sweat drops of blood. And so th what this is saying is there's a, a degree of warfare, serious warfare going on. This isn't just like a, hey, let's throw up some prayer requests right now, get them done real quick and leave. This, there, there is a battle. There is an awe, a reverence, an eagerness, a consistency, a seriousness. They know that prayer is a weapon that can transform dark realities on earth with the goodness and the light of heaven. I mean, my, my brother Paul was talking about it as we finished our worship time today. That's the same idea. Let's turn our worship into warfare. There's an earnestness. That at times, in worship, in prayer, we recognize that this is, this is spiritual battle that's taking place. I mean, maybe they got woken up a little bit with the shock that, oh my gosh, James just got martyred. Maybe they weren't kind of ready. I don't know. The, the, the Acts doesn't kind of tell us what's going on. All we see is this wild and painful contrast between 
James is put in prison, executed. Peter's put in prison, about to be executed, and the difference is the church prays and a miracle happens. I mean, it doesn't directly say, but it says. I mean, there's no re recording in here that the church prayed for James. Maybe they got a little tired. Maybe they got a little lazy. Maybe they got a little comfortable. Maybe they forgot. Maybe they didn't take how serious the privilege they have in warfare-type prayer that can take on earth, as it already is in heaven, so be it on earth. But what we see in verse 5 is Peter's in prison. He's about to die. They know it, and they go to battle with these earnest prayers. And then what happens in verse 12 is it says they go into the house. Peter goes into the house. He's free. This miracle already has happened now. And what does he find? Many were gathered together in prayer. Or excuse me, many were gathered together and were praying. There's a beautiful word in there that is a, uh, basically a synonym for that symphony-type prayer. The word gather together, synethroizo, it means to become assembled as a group, to unite with, to be joined to. There's, and, and, and that's the symphony. There's so much power when we say, I've got to grab hold with a brother and sister. I mean, she made a, a joke earlier, or not a joke, but a reference, a pop culture reference about, hey, when the X-Men come together, there's a power together that they don't have. But that's, that's real. I mean, that's, that's a perfect picture of the body of Christ. And I'm reminded here, become assembled as a group. I'm reminded of Captain America saying, Avengers assemble. But that's literally the word is right here, the, the synethroizo. We've got to assemble together in prayer because there is more power together when we're assembled than when we're alone. Jesus said it straight up. When two or three gather in my name in a symphony, you have more power than when you're alone. You got the power to move mountains. And then in verse five, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. And the thing to point out there to notice is that the word church is singular. So they gathered together, they assembled together as one. So it's just over and over. When you dig into it, you see that same theme. It's e pluribus unum. <laughs> out of many, one. It's the body of Christ. It's coming together in unity. They assembled together in symphony as one church to declare, as it is in heaven, so also on earth. And therefore, it is absolutely not a coincidence that while they are gathered together as one, they assemble out of different parts as one in agreement in a symphony, that is when the miracle for Peter takes place. It is absolutely not a coincidence, and that's what Luke is clearly trying to show, that that assembled, united symphony of prayer as one church brings miracles. Another thing to point out about this, I loved that as they are assembled as one body in agreement, the miracle happens. It almost gives you a visual that as they are praying together, 
as they are saying, like we went, as we went over in the past, um, the past three messages, as they are agreeing and saying, you know, kingdom of God, arrive now. And as they are speaking out what the will of God is, you know, we talked about the angels being activated and how that is 100% biblical. We went over all of these examples where it's this is the norm that Jesus is laying out for us. Um, I think it's amazing that they are in unison together in prayer. And you can almost see as they're praying, as they're making their declarations, as they're standing in agreement, instead of just one person, you have this group. And as they're agreeing and they're declaring, the angels are being activated and they're going forth from that place and they're going to war. You know, Daniel was praying on his own in Daniel 10. You know, when the angel came and said, hey, I was at war for, for you know, 21 days, I think it was. So if you have more than one person coming together with that earnest prayer in unity, there's just so much power to break strongholds as we gather together. And um, this is really, as I've been saying, a way of life. It's not supposed to be an afterthought. You know, um, over the years, as we've, you know, been in other churches all over the place, you know, San Diego, L.A., all over the place, it's kind of like you get together for a Bible study, and then you do your prayer time as an afterthought. Are there any prayer requests? Now, I'm not saying that's bad, but that's not biblical. That's not biblical prayer. So if you're living out biblical prayer somewhere else with a group of people regularly, then that's great because Bible study is, you know, biblical and we need to be doing that as well. We need to be, you know, the, uh, the word talks about being devoted to the word, being devoted to fellowship, being devoted to prayer. They're all in there, but there's really a need for a devotion to the prayer to prayer to where this becomes a lifestyle for us you know and we as we ask the holy spirit how do i jesus show me holy spirit show me how do i make this normal show me ways that i can make shifts you know it, we're all being transformed from one degree of glory to another as he renews our mind and shows us his his ways and his ways uh, his way of life there are always shifts. So, you know, it's get together with someone. You know, maybe you don't have 20 minutes. Maybe you don't have 10. We'll pray for three at least. Pray for five. Just this needs to become a normal. This needs to become as basic as eating and drinking. Um, oh, galactose, yeah. So this was really interesting. <laughs> as this past week, as we were putting together the message and going over all of these verses, which really highlight that this is a way of life, that this is fundamental, and that this is absolutely basic. It's so basic that if we're missing it, we're going to be massively missing the mark that God wants us to hit. If we're wanting to nail the target of hitting the enemy and also bringing the kingdom of God... We can't be forgetting this. This has to be a way of life. This has to be a new way of life because in our current society, this isn't how we do things. There needs to be, you know, just a growing in learning how do we do this, just like the disciples were growing in how to cast out demons. This is all, a, it's, a, it's a new system. The heavenly system is different than the earthly system. Commanding, Binding and casting out demons, not accepting a doctor's 
um, a doctor's label of a disease and saying no and declaring what God is saying, these are completely new ways of life. These are paradigm shifts. And there's a whole, I feel like there's a journey that God has us on as a church where he's taking us, you know, deeper and deeper still, transforming from glory to glory. And he's transforming us not only individually, but as a body so that we can be in unity, in one accord together. So the word that God gave me as we were um, going over this message over the past week, he literally spoke a word to me that I did not know. And I felt like he said it was a Greek word and it was representative of, you know, what we were doing. So it was galactose. And I said to Casey, Casey, um, is there a Greek word galactose? What does it mean? And what are the scriptures where, where, you know, where it's at? So his initial response was, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think there's such a word as galactose. Then he looked it up, and it is milk. It's milk. Now, there are three different places in the New Testament where the Bible refers to milk, and I'm going to read one of them. But the essential gist of it is that these are basics and fundamental which is really neat because I felt like it was just God highlighting where we felt like the whole, what we felt like the Holy Spirit was saying that this is a revolution of learning that these are our basics and this is to be a way of life and this is to be a fundamental. Um, so I'm going to read one of them. This is First Peter two. Okay, First Peter two. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So there's a lot in that verse that we're not going to go into, but growing up into salvation. And then it says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So bottom line is milk is basic. Milk is a part of us growing up into salvation, which has a lot of ramifications. You know, that word salvation isn't just saved from your sins and going to heaven. It's the breakthrough of heaven on earth in your life in everything. Um, so that was really fun to me that the Holy Spirit spoke this word, you know, and I'm, I don't know, I don't know Greek, you know. And I had I'd never heard that word before. I actually thought it, mu it must have been something cool like galaxy. That's what it sounded like to me. I'm like, galactose. Oh, that sounds so big, like space and galaxy. And, you know, it, it was milk. But it was exactly the point that we felt like God was making, that this is to be a fundamental basic. This is the stuff of infants in the sense of, you don't abandon this. These are basic nutrients that you never give up. You can't live without it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. I was, I was in all my, you know, wonderful Greek knowledge. I'm like, babe, there's nothing about, like, the galaxies in the New Testament. Good taste of humble pie. So we'll just close up here and along that encouragement from the Lord um, that this is just meant to be the basics of life. It doesn't, I just want to reaffirm, it doesn't have to be this three-hour prayer meeting. Like that counts, but it's more about the posture of like that word, the earnest prayer. 
where it's like the recognition that when you come into agreement, whether it's for one minute or one hour, and both are good in different settings, there is something absolutely uh, fierce that can take place where literally, as it is in heaven, so also on earth. And that just becomes a way of life, whether it's in your family. So this is a call to make those kind of prayers in your family, within your community here, in your small groups. I mean, we, we had a little one this morning. And, and it's like, how do you take it? Do you take it as this earnest opportunity? So we're up early, and Don's like, oh, my goodness, I only got like a couple hours of sleep. I have a horrible headache. I don't feel good. And Paxton and I are walking out the door, and she just says, hey, will you pray for me? So, like, there's the quick little, you know, coming into symphony. It was only like a minute because we had to go out the door. But there was a, a quick little recognition that there's this earnestness that, that the reality of heaven can change earth right now. And there's such a privilege in prayer. And it was really fun because it was just like, you know, we gather together, there's that symphony agreement, and little Paxi's like, he wants to put his head on mommy, and he prays this cute little prayer. But hey, when a 10-year-old's praying, like, that's earnest, right? There's something beautiful and powerful. And so whether it's that or whether it takes, whether it's an hour, because that's what you sense is needed for that earnest battle, that's awesome too. Or I mean, just this week, I was in one of our leaders' meetings, and and one of our brothers said, hey, man, right before we were starting, and we had like a whole day planned out of content, and he just said, hey, I got something on my heart. Can I share with you guys, and I'd like you to pray for me? And it's like, okay, yeah, awesome. That's great. I mean, that's pretty powerful right there. When you have a group of men gathering, and they have the courage to, it's just a normal way of life. These are leaders, and it's just a normal way of life. I'm encouraged by this to see grown men saying, hey, man, this has been a struggle. Can I share it, and will you pray for me right now? And where the culture is set that this brother, this leader, recognizes that Jesus is right. There's more power together when even just two or three come together as men in the symphony of holding hands in prayer, you're going to be a more powerful man than when you're alone. And he, and he shared, and it ended up being like talk and process for like 20 minutes and then pray together. And it was just beautiful because it's like I'm proud of that moment that that's, you know, culture here, a way of life, that our leaders are comfortable to come together, even as men, and, and confess and be honest, be real. No, we don't have it all together, but grab hands in symphony and <laughs> come before the one who does have it all together and loves to share it with us. And so this is meant to be an encouragement wherever you're at today, wherever you're at, that God desires to see as it is in heaven so also on earth, in greater measure, in you and through you. And so whether it's in your family, it's in small groups, it's among close friends, it's a growing thing where through agreement, through the symphony that God designed, greater and greater measures of breakthrough and power will be seen. Yes, yes, yes. So three little kind of nuts and bolts for the prayer. You know, we've gone over the verses on... Whatever we bind on earth will also be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We've gone over uh, briefly the James verse. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Um, the word sin, it's not necessarily all the bad stuff. You know, it's not, oh, this awful sin. It's, it's just whatever has fallen short of the glory of God. It's just where you need to be transformed. It's where the Holy Spirit is highlighting to you. Or it's where things stink. You, do you have a yucky emotion all the time? 
Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling upset? When you are around a certain person, are there certain emotions and triggers or things that happen? Those are things that God wants to heal and vulnerability is so necessary because if we don't let anybody in, if we don't let that you know, safe army in to fight with us, um, you know, then we're fighting alone. And it's crazy to me because there's so much breakthrough. You know, um, I mean, I'll give one example. I have a handful of people that I'm very close to that, um, you know, I'm gonna embarrass Nikki and Chris right now. They were actually, it's funny because we joke that they, they were like our first uh, spiritual children who, are grown, who have grown up. Um, you know, they were babies when they came to us. And, you know, Nikki, Nikki and I, you know, we feel the Holy Spirit on, we make sure, you know, she's really busy, I'm busy. We make sure that we connect and we pray for one another. And sometimes there's just these basic things that I've been praying on my own and even with him, but there's something to letting other people in. And, you know, where I tell her and it's like, whoa, there was such a shift. And then she tells, it's like, God just wants to bless us through each other. There's so much more breakthrough and there's always a testimony. You know, um, Laura's another one of my, you know, buddies that we, we have a divine assignment from the Lord. You know, we need to go to battle together. We're sisters in arms. You know, we've been um, friends for a long time. And so, there, there are blessings that God wants to pour out, and there's so much more. There, there are these gifts, and what I wanted us as the third thing, you know, the praying and the binding and the being healed and the transforming, but the other uh, verse that came to mind was when um, there's a scripture verse about a gift being given to Timothy through the laying on of hands. So there's a power that comes. There's an anointing, the anointing upon us, the power of God within us, the gifts of God within us, his presence within us, the breakthrough. There's kind of that amazing perspective that as we get together and we lay hands on one another, we can expect that there are gifts from heaven, there are gifts from our Father that are imparted to us. And I wanna say every time, every time there's gonna be a heavenly shift, there's gonna be a shift, there's gonna be a transformation. So I just think that's an exciting thing to keep in mind. You know, it's not just, oh no, I have to get together with other people. It's like, I get together with other people. I get to get together with other people. I get to experience more of heaven. I get to experience more breakthrough. I get to go hand in hand with an army and take out the devil. You know, and the other thing I wanted to point out is um, the importance of being together and of really this becoming a norm for us is the devil doesn't fight alone. The devil is not fighting alone. He's got an army, you know, and I um, see and sense in the spirit realm so I can see strongholds and there's just all sorts of stuff involved there. So we need to arm up and we need to come together as that army because together we can conquer the enemy. All right. Shall we say amen? Amen. I will sing a new song. I will sing a new song. I will dance a new dance like David. 